Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's serious moments, stories of oddness, of weirdness of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Hello everybody, this is Terry from Texas. Today I want to talk about ley lines. Ley lines is one of those things that People argue over, do they exist, do they not exist, are they power lines, what, what's the deal with ley lines? So I did a little bit of research on it. Ley lines refer to straight alignments drawn between various historic structures and prominent landmarks, such as the St. Michael's Line, which is a postulated ley line connecting monasteries dedicated to the Archangel Michael in Europe and in the Middle East. The aligned monasteries include Skelling Michael in Ireland, St. Michael's Mount in Cornwall, Mont Saint-Michel in Normandy, France, Sacre de Saint-Michel in Italy, Chiesa de San Galgano in Italy, Tempio de Saint-Michel di Perugia in Italy, Santuario de Saint-Michel del Gargano in Italy, Delphi in Greece, the island of Delos in Greece, Simi in Greece, Kurion in Cyprus, and Mount Carmel in Israel. The term is also used to refer to a similar alignment of sites linked to St. Michael within the UK itself. The idea of ley lines was developed in early 20th century Europe when ley line believers, arguing that these alignments were recognized by ancient European societies which deliberately erected structures among them. Since the 1960s, members of the Earth Mysteries movement and other esoteric traditions have commonly believed that such ley lines demarcate Earth energies and serve as guides for alien spacecraft. Archaeologists and scientists regard ley lines as an example of pseudo-archaeology and pseudo-science. The idea of lays, and that's spelled L-E-Y, by the way, not L-A-Y. The idea of lays as straight tracks across the landscape was put forward by the English antiquarian Alfred Watkins in the 1920s particularly in his book, The Old Straight Track. He argued that straight lines could be drawn between various historic structures 
and that these represented trade routes created by ancient societies. Although he gained a small following, Watkins' ideas were never accepted by the British archaeological establishment, a fact that frustrated him. His critics noted that his ideas relied on drawing lines between sites established at different periods in the past. They also argued that in prehistory, as in the present, it was impractical to travel in a straight line across hilly or mountainous areas of Britain, rendering his lays unlikely as trade routes. Independently of Watkins' ideas, though, a similar notion, that of Heilige Linien, or Holy Lines, was raised in 1920s Germany. It was later endorsed by various Nazis. The Nazi belief in supernatural things and supernatural powers is well documented in other areas. During the 1960s, Watkins' ideas were revived in altered form by British proponents of the countercultural Earth Mysteries movement. In 1961, Tony Webb put forth the belief that lays were established by prehistoric communities to guide alien spacecraft. This view was promoted to a wider audience in the books of John Michel, particularly his 1969 work, The View Over Atlantis. Michel's publications were accompanied by the launch of the Lay Hunter magazine and the appearance of a Lay Hunter community keen to identify ley lines across the British landscape. Lay hunters often combined their search for ley lines with other esoteric practices like dowsing and numerology and with the belief in a forthcoming age of Aquarius that would transform human society. Although hostile to archaeologists, some lay hunters attempted to ascertain scientific evidence for their belief in earth energies at prehistoric sites evidence they could not obtain. Following sustained archaeological criticism, the lay hunter community dissipated in the 1990s, with several of its key proponents abandoning the idea and moving into the study of landscape archaeology and folkloristics. Belief in ley lines nevertheless remains common among some esoteric religious groups, such as forms of modern paganism in both Europe and North America. Archaeologists note that there is no evidence that ley lines are a recognized phenomenon among ancient European societies and that attempts to draw them typically rely on linking together structures that were built in different historical periods. That makes a lot of sense. If groups of a time period are aware of and indeed influenced by this concept, then doesn't it stand to reason that proponents of this belief would travel extensively, proselytizing others into the Brotherhood? And if they were traveling across Europe preaching this message, then I would believe that many holy buildings and or sites would be founded within a relatively short period of time. Archaeologists and statisticians have demonstrated, though, that a random distribution of a sufficient number of points on a plane will inevitably create alignments of random points purely by chance. Skeptics have also stressed that the esoteric idea of earth energies running through ley lines has not been scientifically verified, remaining an article of faith for its believers. 
as are many things in the paranormal and supernatural realm. The idea that ancient sacred sites might have been constructed in alignment with one another was proposed in 1846 by the Reverend Edward Duke, who observed that some prehistoric monuments in medieval churches aligned with each other. In 1909, the idea was advanced in Germany. There, Wilhelm Teut had argued for the presence of linear alignments connecting various sites, but suggested they had a religious and astronomical function. The idea of lays as paths traversing the British landscape was developed by Alfred Watkins, a wealthy businessman and antiquarian who lived in Hereford. According to his account, he was driving across the hills near Blackwardine, Herefordshire, when he looked across the landscape and observed the way that several features lined up together. He subsequently begins drawing lines across his ordnance survey maps, developing the view that ancient British people had tended to travel in straight lines, using mark points along the landscape to guide them. He put forward his idea of ley lines in the 1922 book, Early British Trackways, and then again in greater depth in the 1925 book, The Old Straight Track. He proposed the existence of a network of completely straight roads that cut through a range of prehistoric Roman and medieval structures. In his view, these straight tracks were ancient trade routes. Watkins had drawn upon earlier research. He cited the work of the English astronomer Norman Lockyer, who had argued that ancient alignments might be oriented to sunrise and sunset at solstices. His work referred to G.H. Piper's paper presented to the Woolhope Naturalist Field Club in 1882, which noted that a line drawn from the Skiridfar Mountains northwards to Arthur's Stone would pass over the camp and southernmost point of Hatterall Hill, Old Castle, Longtown Castle, Urishay, and Snot Hill Castles. Watkins referred to these lines as lays, although had reservations about doing so. The term lay derived from the Old English term for a cleared space, with Watkins adopting it for his lines because he found it to be part of the place names of various settlements that were along the lines he traced. He also observed the recurrence of coal and dod in English place names thus suggesting that the individuals who had established these lines were referred to as a Coleman or Dodman. He proposed that the long man of Wilmington, chalk geoglyph in Sussex, was a depiction of such an individual with their measuring equipment. His ideas were rejected by most experts on British prehistory at the time including both the small number of recognized archaeological scholars and local enthusiasts. His critics noted that the straight lines he proposed would have been highly impractical means of crossing hilly or mountainous terrain, and that many of his sites he selected as evidence for the lays were of disparate historical origins. We keep coming back to that argument. 
Some of Watkins' other ideas, such as a belief that his widespread forest clearance took place in prehistory rather than later, would nevertheless later be recognized by archaeologists. Part of archaeologists' objection was their belief that prehistoric Britons would not have been sophisticated enough to produce such accurate measurements across the landscape. British archaeologists were then overwhelmingly committed to ideas of cultural diffusionism and thus unwelcoming to ideas about ley lines being an independent British development. In 1926, advocates of Watkins' beliefs established the Straight Track Club. In 1927, Watkins published the Lay Hunter's Manual to assist this growing body of enthusiasts who were looking for their own ley lines in the landscape. Proponents of Watkins' ideas sent in letters to the archaeologist O.G.S. Crawford, then editor of the Antiquity Journal. Crawford filed these letters under a section of his archive titled Crankeries and was annoyed that educated people believed such ideas when they were demonstrably incorrect. He refused to publish an advert in antiquity for the old straight track, at which Watkins became very bitter towards him. Watkins' last book, Archaic Tracks Around Cambridge, was published in 1932. Watkins died April 7th of 1935. The club survived him, although it became largely inactive at the outbreak of the Second World War in 1939 and formally disbanded in 1948. The archaeo Clive Ruggles noted that after the 20s, ley lines soon faded into obscurity. The historian Ronald Hutton similarly noted that there had been a virtual demise of the idea by the 1950s, in part due to a natural weariness with a spent enthusiasm. From the 1940s through the 1960s, the archaeological establishment blossomed in Britain as a result of the formation of various university courses on the subject. It was in the latter decade of this period that a belief in ley lines was taken up by members of the counterculture where, in the words of archaeologist Matthew Johnson, they were attributed with sacred significance and mystical power. Ruggles noted that in this period, ley lines came to be conceived as lines of power, the paths of some form of spiritual force or energy accessible to our ancient ancestors, but now lost to narrow-minded 20th century scientific thought. In his 1961 book, Skyways and Landmarks, Tony Wedd, published his idea that Watkins' lays were both real and served as ancient markers to guide alien spacecraft that were visiting Earth. So you see, we, we've already gone from these are trade routes to these are lines of power to these are alien guideposts. He came to this conclusion after comparing Watkins' ideas with those of the French ufologist Amy Michel all these connections to the name Michael, who argued for the existence of orthotenes, lines along which alien spacecraft traveled. Wedd suggested that either spacecraft were following their prehistoric landmarks for guidance, or that both the lays and the spacecraft were following a magnetic current flowing across the Earth. 
Wed's ideas were taken up by the writer John Michel, who promoted them to a wider audience in his 1967 book, The Flying Saucer Vision. In this book, Michelle promoted the ancient astronaut belief that extraterrestrials had assisted humanity during prehistory when humans had worshipped these entities as gods, but that the aliens left when humanity became too materialistic and technology-focused. He also argued that humanity's materialism was driving it to self-destruction, but that this could be prevented by reactivating the ancient centers which would facilitate renewed contact with the aliens. Michel repeated his beliefs in the 1969 book, The View Over Atlantis. Hutton described it as almost the founding document of the modern Earth Mysteries movement. Here he interpreted ley lines by referring to the Chinese concept of Lung Mei energy lines. He proposed that an advanced ancient society that had once covered much of the world had established ley lines across the landscape to harness this Lung Mei energy. Sort of a global feng shui, as you will. Translating these Lung Mei as dragon paths, he reinterpreted tales from English mythology and folklore in which heroes killed dragons so that the dragon slayers became the villains. The historian Ronald Hutton later noted that Michelle's ideas embodied a fervent religious feeling which, though not Christian, was heavily influenced by Christian models, adopting an evangelical and apocalyptic tone that announced the coming of an age of Aquarius in which ancient wisdom would be restored. Michelle invented various claims about archaeological evidence to suit his purpose. He viewed archaeologists as antagonists, seeing them as the personification of the modern materialism he was railing against. In the mid-1970s, Michel then published a detailed case study of the West Penwith district of Cornwall, laying out what he believed to be the ley lines in that area. He presented this as a challenge to archaeologists, urging them to examine his ideas in detail and stating that he would donate a large sum of money to charity if they could disprove them. Hutton noted that it represented the finest piece of surveying work then undertaken by a pseudo-archaeologist in Britain. However, Michel had included natural rock outcrops as well as medieval crosses in his list of Neolithic and Bronze Age monuments. In 1962, a group of ufologists established the Lay Hunters Club. Michelle's publication was followed by an upsurge in lay hunting as enthusiasts traveled around the British landscape seeking to identify what they believed to be ley lines connecting various historic structures. Parish churches were particularly favored by the lay hunters, who often worked on the assumption that such churches had almost always been built atop pre-Christian sacred sites. The 1970s and 1980s also saw the increase in publications appearing on the topic of ley lines. One ley lines enthusiast, Philip Heselton, established the Lay Hunter magazine, which launched in 1965. It later came to be edited by Paul Screeton, who also wrote the book Quicksilver Heritage, in which he argued that the Neolithic period had seen an idyllic society devoted to spirituality 
but that this was brought to an end through the introduction of metal technologies in the Bronze Age. He argued that this Golden Age could nevertheless be restored. Another key book produced among the lay hunting community was Mysterious Britain, written by Janet and Colin Board. Part of the popularity of lay hunting was that individuals without any form of professional training in archaeology could take part and feel that they could rediscover the magical landscapes of the past. Lay hunting welcomed those who had a strong interest in the past but feel excluded from the narrow confines of orthodox academia. The lay hunting movement often blended their activities with other esoteric practices, such as numerology and dowsing. The movement had a diverse base, consisting of individuals from different class bases and of different political opinions. It contained adherents of both radical left and radical right ideologies. Lay hunters often differed on how they understood the ley lines. Some believed the lays only marked the pre-existing energy current, whereas others thought that the lays helped control and direct it. They were nevertheless generally in agreement that the ley lines were laid out between 5000 BC and 2600 BC after the introduction of agriculture but before the introduction of metal in Britain. For many lay hunters, this Neolithic period was seen as a golden age in which the Britons lived in harmony with the natural environment. There were many other developments that took place in the 1960s and 70s. Many attitudes, many viewpoints were expressed. Things changed within the lay hunting groups. Ideas were updated, ideas were discarded, other ideas came in fresh. In the 1980s, professional archaeologists in Britain began to engage with the Lay Hunters movement. In 1983, Lay Lines in Question, a book written by archaeologists Tom Williamson and Liz Bellamy, was published. In this work, they considered the evidence that Ley Line exponents had amassed in support of their beliefs. They highlighted that the British landscape was so highly covered in historic monuments that it was statistically unlikely that any straight line could be drawn across the landscape without passing through several such sites. They also demonstrated that lay hunters often claim that certain markers are Neolithic, thus roughly contemporary with each other, when often they were of widely different dates, such as being Iron Age or Medieval. The overall message of the book was the idea of lays, as it was being presented by Earth Mysteries proponents, had no basis in empirical reality. Looking back on the book's reception in 2000, Williamson noted that, quote, archaeologists weren't particularly interested and leyline people were particularly hostile, unquote. Sure, and why not? The archaeological groups think it's hokum, so why bother? And the leyline people think you're whizzing in their Wheaties, so they won't touch it. The book brought two different responses from the lay hunter community, though. Some maintained that even if the presence of earth energies running through ley lines could not be demonstrated with empirical evidence and rational argumentation, this did not matter. For them, a belief in ley lines was an act of faith, and in their view, archaeologists were too narrow-minded to comprehend this reality. 
The other approach was to further engage archaeologists by seeking out new data and arguments to bolster their beliefs and ley lines. See, that's how you do things. If you have a belief that is technically unprovable, you go out searching for evidence that you may be able to prove it. That's that's one of the evidence that's one of the that's one of the concepts of faith. You seek out information on what you believe in to prove it to others, to prove it to yourself maybe. You believe it, but you still need proof, so you search. I'm really thinking that's about all we need to talk about ley lines, although there is much more information. The the idea of ley lines has gone through different deaths and resurrections. I think one ley line that they talk about goes through um, the chapel, Rosalind Chapel. I don't know. One thing I did find out, in the U.S. city of Seattle, a dowsing organization called the Geo Group plotted what they believed were the ley lines across the city. They stated that their project made Seattle the first city on earth to balance and tune its ley line system. The Seattle Arts Commission contributed $5,000 to the project, bringing criticism from members of the public who regarded it as a waste of money. Yeah. It might be germane to point out at this time that Seattle legalized marijuana use in 2012. Just saying. Ley lines have been called pseudoscience, pseudo-archaeology. They've been called false. They've been called outright fantasy. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. I don't know about ley lines. I've never been someplace that I know is technically listed on a ley line. I believe that there may be places where certain powers reign that may be natural magnetic power Maybe that's why you get a tingle when you walk into certain places. I, I really don't know. I would like to find out. But I honestly think my traveling days are pretty much over. And this is how I do my traveling. Is by reading these stories to you. And going the places that they take us. It is interesting to note that a man named John Bruno Hare. In 2004 wrote this about Mr. Watkins. Watkins never attributed any supernatural significance to lays. He believed that they were simply pathways that had been used for trade or ceremonial purposes, that they were very ancient in origin, possibly dating back to the Neolithic. They were certainly pre-Roman, and his obsession with lays was a natural outgrowth of his interest in landscape photography and love of the British countryside. He was an intensely rational person with an active intellect, and I think he would be a bit disappointed with some of the fringe aspects of ley lines today. You know what fringe is, right? If you're wearing a fringe jacket, it's got, it's like an old mountain man jacket. It's got that stuff that hangs off of it. In England, if a girl wears bangs in her hair, those are called a fringe. Fringe, to me, is something that's really a distraction. If you move too much in one of those fringe jackets, you look like you're moving a lot more than you really are. 
it's it's a fake out. That's my thing. So are ley lines a real thing, or are they indeed pseudoscience? Honestly believe that it's a matter of you, the listener's belief, because of faith. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour and Unexplained Cases. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories, nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments, or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.